Hi, this is Unsuitable with Mary B. Seyfried, the podcast where I interview single Christians about their lives and faith. Hey everyone, today you're going to hear from Deborah Ayas. Deborah has been a published poet and writer since the year 2005 when her poem, My Routine, was published in an anthology by Anchor Books, which is a forward poetry imprint based in the UK. She has since been published in over 100 anthologies in Canada, India, Nigeria, South Africa, the UK, US, and other countries. She has won several awards and has published three collections of poetry. She also writes short stories, devotionals, and articles. She has been invited by organizations, groups, and schools to give talks on poetry and creative writing, and she's a regular contributor to Our Daily Bread's youth branch, Why Am I? You can find out more about what she's up to on her website, www.valiantscribe.com. You can also follow her on Facebook at Ms. Deborah Ayas. Those links are in the show notes for y'all. In this episode, Deborah starts off by sharing one of her poems and is really powerful. After that, we talk about her journey as a writer and as a Christian. I love how her faith infuses so much of our conversation, and I love her perspective on sharing her creative gift. Hi, Deborah. Thanks hey. so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited for our conversation. Um, would you mind starting us off by reading a poem for us that you've brought? A yes. poem of yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not just any old poem. A poem that you have written and brought for us. <laughs> I mean, it would be really funny if I came in here and I was like, hey, I'm going to read you some D.H. Lawrence or some you know, Robert Frost or something. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but then I think I'll read one of mine. <laughs> um, so the title of this poem is uh, She Lives. And I'll just dive right in. Yeah, um, great. She'd forgotten how to smile. She looked into the mirror, urging her muscles to remember the parting. Her fingers edged her cheeks upward, tracing the outline of what she saw. She clawed into the depths of her soul into the darkness that plagued her. She searched for a marble, a sparkle of joy and light. They had put her down, stripped her of her purity, cutted her like an object, sold her to the highest bidder. Her identity had been lost in more ways than one, but she'd survived and she'd escaped. So now she rebuilds a new identity, a brave voice. Fighting for the voiceless, protecting the innocent. Past the hate, anger, and nightmares. Building on precious lost years, healing from within. Telling the world her story. Learning about love and happiness. And walking out in freedom. She's embracing life as the sun rises at dawn. Like a dead seed sprouting to life. She's gradually moving past her horror and learning to find her smile again. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Can you talk a little about a little bit about what inspired that poem? Well, um, I have been very much invested in um, sexual violence against women mm-hmm. and human trafficking, mm-hmm. and it's something I'm very passionate about. And um, back in about 2013, 2014, a very close friend of mine was uh, sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And she shared that um, she shared her experience with me, and it, it just 
uh, it took me to a dark place and mm. um, I guess I just found myself writing and uh, I wrote other pieces that were really dark and um, people said they were shocking and they confronted them into thinking more about this issue because it mm. made it so real. Yeah. And um, this was kind of giving hope yeah. um, that past that, past... Um, being stripped away of your identity and this is not just a female only issue mm -hmm. men also go yeah. through sexual violence and right. i think also a huge light needs to be shed on that because um, the focus is mainly on women as victims sure. not really men right um but yeah this is this is kind of a, a poem going beyond that saying there's hope at the end of the road mm -hmm. and even though i use she here i could easily substitute it uh, with he so I hope that addresses that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a great, um, a really important premise. And of course, I mean, it's always been an important topic, but I feel like now, especially as so many of these stories and so many of these issues are coming to light and being taken more seriously in general, it's, it's so beautiful to have art that captures that experience, um, but also the hope that, that can be found. Um, in the recovery process. True. Yeah. yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing your writing. I've <laughs> had the privilege of hearing some of your other writing because uh, you and I met in the context of a writer's group yes. <laughs> at church. <laughs> yeah. So we're always sharing work with each other. Um, would you tell me how you got into writing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I never knew I could write, actually, um, until my brother... Uh, passed on and mm. um, he was in his 20s then and he he died tragically and mm. then we're going through his things you know how it is afterwards yeah, yeah. and then we realized he actually wrote he was a prolific writer but wow. he had never just shared his work with anyone wow and um, you know I checked online well then internet was barely there but mm -hmm. what I could and they were actually originally his because there were some things he referenced personally and mm -hmm. um kind of his scrapbook and I just um I just wanted to carry his legacy on mm. sort of because um uh, and then I started to like um play around I'll say and I wrote song lyrics mm -hmm. I wrote poetry mm -hmm. I wrote really really bad prose <laughs> <laughs> and then um I just kept writing on and on and decided that you know um he didn't share but then um I would make sure I shared my work. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about like maybe an opportunity that you've had to share your work. Okay. Um, I'll link it back to the previous question about, you know, how I started. Mm -hmm. So the first poem I ever wrote was titled My Routine. And mm -hmm. it was just really simple, lyrical uh, poem. And um, I wrote it because... At my school, we, um, we got visited by um, a publishing house called uh, Forward um, Press, and now it's called Forward Poetry, and they had this competition going on. So mm -hmm. they wanted to encourage literature students and all of those to uh, submit that. And um, I did not um, submit into that competition, but I wrote directly to them. I found they had other competitions, and I sent in. Oh, cool. And I didn't think I was going to get, you know... Mm -hmm. Uh, and then suddenly I was so excited when I got the letter and it's like, hey, your 
poem has been accepted. It's going to be in this, this, this anthology. And I was so excited. And I was like, wow, so I am making sense. I'm not just, you know, <laughs> this isn't gibberish. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Such an amazing feeling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was just great because that was the first um, piece of writing I'd actually ever written before. Yeah. And then over the years, uh, I have been writing for different imprints and mm-hmm. different um, publication houses, competitions or magazines um, mm-hmm. and other projects. Yeah. Um, so mainly, let me see, Nigeria, South Africa, India, Canada, the UK, and um, now I'm kind of getting active in the US. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome. Um, so you picked up writing at the age of 12. You won this competition a little later. Um, what was it like kind of stepping into that identity and owning the, the just calling yourself a writer? Uh, I still struggle to call myself a writer, yeah, to be honest I also do. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I, I mean, art is so subjective. Yeah. And... Um, you sometimes you pour out your heart and your emotions and uh, what you your perspective on life, but it just doesn't resonate with other people. And they would be like uh, any anybody in the arts, whether you're a writer, your um, uh, your model, or, or whatever it is, you you get the rejection letters. Mm-hmm. You know, you always, there's always uh, for every thirty percent that get accepted, there's like seventy percent of rejection letters for whatever art yeah. form you're in. Right. Uh, so it's at those moments, you know, when you get rejection after rejection that you start thinking, okay, am I any good at this <laughs> at all? Maybe I'm just, you know, delusional. Mm. Um, but then when one person says, you know, I read something you wrote and mm-hmm. it made me reevaluate my life or it encouraged me in a hard yeah. time. And, and then at that moment, you're like, it is worth it. You know, it's mm. a gift by from God mm-hmm. and I always remember you know the the story of the servants who God gave like a talent another five and another ten and the one who had one went and hid it and when the landlord or owner really paraphrasing here I need to read my <laughs> verses again it's totally fine <laughs> I'm tracking with you I'm right there with you yeah I came back and says where's the talent I gave him he's like oh you know I know you're this 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 so I hit it and God said okay I'm gonna take even that that I gave mm-hmm. you away from you but for those who brought back you know who went out and invested the money he'd given the talent he'd given that he gave them even more mm-hmm. um so I think for every Christian, God has given a gift and no matter how we step into it or we learn of it, and of course the Holy Spirit leads us, um, it wasn't just me carrying on my brother's legacy, it was also the Holy Spirit opening something in me and letting it grow and flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, You learn to treasure that and to use it because um, that is the great commission to share his word, to share his light. And you can do that through the gifts and the talents he gives us. Mm. So when he comes back, he says, you're a good servant. Uh, you've done well with the one thing I gave you. Yeah. Um, here's more, if he wills. Yeah. And that's such a great perspective to have. Like you were saying that if um, 
you know, how powerful it is when just one person comes back to you and, and talks about how um, your work has influenced them or made them think or made them feel something. It's, it's such a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and especially, I think, because poetry is so evocative and it's so, it like touches something so deep um, that I think is a really, really special gift that can kind of reach, even if you're writing the poem about one subject matter, the essence and the emotion is there that can relate to another subject matter altogether. Very true. Yeah. Very true. I'm glad that you have owned, well, or are in the process of continually owning your identity as a writer, as we all are. Um, can you tell me about a time that maybe you felt unsuitable as a writer? Yes. Um, so this is a very funny example. Um, I was, uh, in my previous church, um, it was, a, it was a wonderful, great church and I still visit from time to time. I was, uh, a member of the writers group. So, uh, it really, it, it was very challenging in a good way, um, I got to write so many different pieces of um, of uh, literature, art, or what would I say, uh, from story profiles to um, journalistic pieces to mm-hmm. monologues. You you get the. It wasn't just okay poetry, right, or yeah, right. or write a short story. It was those every time there was something new every week, and that was great because then I had to tr- um, write you know in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember Black History Month, I was asked to write a monologue on uh, Mary Van Britten Brown. She is the inventor of the home security system stroke CCTV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was, I just, I knew I was the worst person for that uh, <laughs> job <laughs> because um even though I'm black, uh, I am not African-American. I am mm. not American. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't really relate to, you know, the historical weight of things that, that go with Black History Month or mm. just black history in general in right. the American context of things. Mm-hmm. And I shared those fears, but everyone was like, oh, don't worry. You can do it, you know. And yeah. I started to believe it. I was like, yes, I can do this. If you, you know, if you put your mind to anything, you can. Mm. And uh, after like five, six, seven <laughs> tries, <laughs> we all agreed that, uh, okay, yeah, she can't do this. <laughs> so, uh, that was funny. Um, and of course, then I felt really unsuitable because it's this little task is this little thing and you you like to tell yourself that if you push yourself far enough or if you try to invest yourself or step into someone else's shoes then you'd be able to ably communicate or embody what that feeling is and for some Mm -hmm. people they're good at that but not really um for others luckily for me um for us there was uh, someone who did drama major and she built off of what I'd written and it was a great monologue and um, I was actually asked to do a journalistic piece on the same lady which I wrote and it went out as a whole package and that was really good Mm -hmm. uh, we had people asking who wrote this so (laughs) I was like okay so I am suitable to write a journalistic piece but 
very unsuitable to write monologues. So <laughs> something to remember in the future. And it just kind kind of makes um, as one grows and matures in in faith as a human being. Um, in wisdom, so to say, you realize that you are suitable for some things, but not everything. Yeah. Um, that's why we have the body of Christ. You have an arm and an eye and a leg. Um, right. And an arm can't try to see. Mm-hmm. And that would be kind of a mess of things. But that's kind of just a simple, minuscule example of not being suitable for one thing, but then actually suitable for something else that was different, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting, um, the story that you've shared, because I feel like in the past, a lot of the stories have been, well, I felt unsuitable, but maybe I was just like feeling awkward or insecure and it was really okay. Um, But there are times when we're maybe not equipped to do what it is that someone has asked us to do. Um, I think it's um, in the church, sometimes there's this very well-meaning idea that God you know, equips those who he calls and and he does. And we believe that. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we can, there's, there can be a bit of a can do, I can do anything attitude that creeps in there and kind of makes us feel like, oh no, that means that I can do absolutely anything and God's going to show up and give me the the ability to do it. But, uh, you know, that kind of goes against the, the strength, us being strongest when we're weak. And um, just the power of of Christ and Christ calling us to specific things, yeah. and not calling us to specific things. True, very true. Imagine a, I don't know. Imagine a pastor trying to be in the choir or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but right. <laughs> yeah, that would be different. That would right. be interesting to see. Right. Well, and uh, this is something I struggle with is the idea of um, being a jack of all trade, but a master of none and um, how it's really important to be able to, to focus on um, and honing a specific area of your craft as opposed to trying to do everything and be able to do everything, um, which is, I think, a very cultural idea that we can do everything and we can do anything um but that's not really a gospel idea no right no (laughs) no it isn't um everyone is um i think called to be something to play a certain role Mm -hmm. in in the body of christ and even in in this world um if we were all leaders then there would be no followers Right. right um and Paul speaks a lot about this. You know, mm. He talks about the gifts. You know, mm-hmm. Some of you have a gift of prophecy. Some people have the gift of interpreting tongues. Some people have um, a gift of healing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's that's why the body of, uh, of Christ is so beautiful because when we all come together knowing what we are called to do mm-hmm. and we work in tandem, then it becomes this beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, in that process of realizing, oh, wait, this is not something that I'm good at. This is not something that I think I'm, I'm called to do in this instance. Was it like, because it was a monologue or was it because of the subject matter or was it a little bit of both? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, uh, I think I really wasn't, um, I'm still learning 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still being open. Um, I embrace different cultures and histories. Mm-hmm. I'm a history buff. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's still a growing appreciation of what different um, peoples have gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, be it the African-American, be it the Armenians, um, being, um, be it the Jews, be mm-hmm. it any given people, even yeah. you can say people from Syria or Yemen, and just being humble enough to open your heart and your mind to try and step into those shoes and mm. learning. But it, it's never, ever going to be the same thing as experiencing it or having it directly impact you. Mm. You'll forever just be a viewer from outside and yeah. not really um, someone who has embodied what that pain or that struggle has been. Yeah. And then, yeah, frankly, I probably should have just... Um, there's a first time for everything. So who knows? Maybe in the future, I'll try writing monologues more <laughs> and <laughs> I'll finally be good at it, you know? Um, right. But I think mainly I, I, it was a very short time period. Uh, it was one of those quick fire assignments. Right, it's like, right. we need this right. yesterday. Right. So just wasn't enough time to like immerse myself, not mm. enough time to like um, on the monologue part, you know, look at enough samples and right. kind of go through that. So right, kind of right, like right. had to wing it or swing it or right. whatever the terminology is. <laughs> but yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point, um, which I've been thinking about recently, just about empathy and kind of the nature of empathy where, you know, we're taught to like put ourselves in the other person's shoes and, and think about how we would feel in that situation. Um, but you know, I've been thinking about how it's not us in that situation. It's the other person who's in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, I've been thinking about what it would be like to empathize in a way where I'm considering not my own viewpoint, but the other person's viewpoint, the other person's experiences and the other person's um, backstory and how they're bringing all of that with them into whatever situation I'm trying to empathize with, which is, um, I don't know. It's more of a a theoretical concept at this point than something (laughs) I feel like I'm necessarily good at, but yeah, those are some, some really great thoughts on empathy and, and compassion, compassion. Yeah. Jesus was very compassionate. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of drew me to him a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was just like trying to be more like him mm-hmm. and yeah it's tough now um being we're not we'll never be 100 percent right but we can try yeah we can let the holy spirit like work in us to help us be right that. <laughs> right yeah um have you always been a christian yeah, since when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. <laughs> I was very lucky. Um, I was My granddad was a reverend. Okay. And then my brother, uh, what, my other brother uh, was, was a pastor. My mom is always either a deacon or an elder or something. So we're very much like involved in church mm-hmm. from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I gave my life to Christ when I was five years old, so... <clears throat> I think I I understood what that meant. (laughs) But then, uh, of course, as you grow, you learn to uh, appreciate Christ on your own and Mm -hmm. to come to him on 
on your own level, not because of being brainwashed or or um, religion being forced down your throat, but kind of in your own terms, on on your own way, like uh, connect him on a personal level, not mm-hmm. just um, religion. And um, I think it, it's, um, yeah, it's been a process and um, it's been an adventure, I would say that. It's been a good adventure getting to know Christ, really letting him inhabit every room of uh, one's life. And... Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to call him best friend and savior. Yeah. You know, and after having considered, you know, what is out there, you know, <clears throat> because as human beings, as Christians, as anyone, you have all these religions, you know, what, what, um, <clears throat> what makes Christ different from um, is um, Muhammad or Buddha or right. all of that, you know. Right. And I think even Christ welcomes us to have all of those questions. Yeah. And then it's it's not like you're blindly following him, but to actually consider all of those things, ask the tough questions, mm. and then decide this is what is real t- to me. This yeah. is because I know that I know that I know right. that you're my savior. Um, this is kind of going off track now. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can feel free to cut this out no, later. No, no, it's great. Uh, but it's... Um, I I grew up in we had a lot of vacation um, uh, vacation Bible schools, okay. Um, so VBSs, and you get to meet you, you know all these kids and everything, and it's learning about the Bible, the Old Testament, and right. all of that. Right. And out of most of the people from then, very few of us actually stayed true to the faith. Mm. A lot of people just gave it up as they became teenagers, as right. they went to college. Um, I see that happening, and um, even here in the West, it's, it's very, very common that you see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, that's when it's, it's. I think questioning and finding Christ for yourself is so important because it becomes a part of your identity, and it becomes your truth. Because people are going to ask you those questions if you're yeah. going to ask yourself. Yeah. And if you're not ready for them, you can easily be blown away. Mm. You can easily start, you know, re-evaluating your fate and saying, okay, this isn't for me, just because you haven't taken the time enough to actually find that fate for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I have a similar experience in the sense of I've been a Christian my whole life. And for me, it's, um, it's been less you know, one big dramatic conversion moment, but like a series of smaller decisions. And and it is a series of smaller decisions, you know, because I think for, for anyone who's really living life and really engaging with um, life and faith, um, there comes a point when the blind faith and the easy answers aren't going to work anymore. Yeah, You know, it's like, when you come up against something that you can't explain or there's an illness or a death in the family or any number of disasters or um there's there comes a point for everyone where you have to to start digging in or walk away true yeah so well said (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm in a phase in my faith where i am 
asking a lot of questions and wrestling with a lot. And, um, part of that has, is like a phase of life thing. I'm, you know, towards the end of my twenties. And I think that the twenties are a very turbulent time for a lot of people, but, um, also moving to New York, I grew up in the South and there it's like the Bible belt, like everyone's a cultural Christian for sure. Um, so there's just a lot, I think that I took for granted, um, and moving up here where there's like, like nobody's a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> you you really start asking these questions. You yeah. start wondering like why why am I doing this? What is this all about? Yeah. yeah. Um but I think it's really healthy like you said to not just be blind. I think to just come to Jesus with like fully open eyes and open heart is, you know, I think he welcomes the exploration and the challenge. Yeah. I mean, I think so. You know, I think so. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. <laughs> no, I couldn't have said it better. Like you said, everything I've been trying to articulate in like a million words, and you put oh. it succinctly and just beautifully. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. No, but especially in New York City, you have to be bold to say I'm a Christian because mm-hmm. yeah, people are like, oh, you're one of those. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, um, I know that. You, you spoke about writing it with this church and, and, and writing, you know, kind of sharing your gift um, from like a faithful perspective. Can you um, talk a little bit more about how your faith influences your writing? Are you someone who writes about God kind of literally or overtly, I should say, or are you someone who kind of tries to let the light and the grace kind of just be infused into your work? So... Um Great question. <laughs> and um, a little bit of both, or oh, a lot of both, actually. <laughs> um, starting off, I really mainly wrote uh, overtly about God. And um, it took a while to, in fact, actually, when I started writing about other subjects, I felt guilty because there mm. wasn't like God and Jesus sprinkled all all over there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then the Holy Spirit got me to understand that it's about the spirit that's behind the writing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also the message you're trying to convey because yeah. um, C.S. Lewis and the rest of them, you know, Tiara Tolkien, they didn't really write overly right. hard. But then that whole allegory and all of that shines true mm-hmm. um so i do have um i try to segment my work when it, it if um circumstances call for it um but in whatever i write whether it's for a christian audience whether it's um public um to any audience mm-hmm. some still christian um then I, I just make sure that his light shines through all this sort mm-hmm. of a message of hope, a message of yeah. you know divine love, a, a message of faith. You know, yeah. something shines true, and I feel even if someone reads a story about sexual violence and they say, "Oh, maybe I'll Google something else she wrote," mm. and then they come across a poem about a psalm, I literally have one that's titled "Psalm." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's um, that plays well yeah Yeah. absolutely i think um i love that you brought up tolkien because i just adore tolkien so much um but i think that there's a lot to writing 
as a Christian, but not overtly writing about Christ. Um, it's something that I've thought a lot about when I was writing music, um, because I'm not, I wasn't really into the, the idea of writing like praise music as we kind of necessarily think of it, like Hillsong and, um, bands like that. Um, but I think that, you know, as people of faith, anytime we're creating, we're writing from that really deep place, that really deep place in our soul where we, where the image of God lives, but also yeah. where we wrestle with these deep issues of, of being a human. Yeah. And I think that there's so much, so much of God's glory shines True. through yeah. all of that, even when we're not trying True. to like, even though we're not saying like Jesus, every other word. Um, <laughs> True. Yeah. So I really appreciate Christians who are faithful, who write from a place of faith, but who are able to, you know, kind of reach a larger audience because, you know, they're writing to human beings yeah. first. Um, and, you know, there's obviously a place for work that is more geared towards Christians, that's geared towards um, discipleship and growth in faith. But I think that there's something really powerful about writing for human beings. Very true. Yeah. And again, you've put it beautifully. <laughs> That's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> you said it really well as well. You had to do the hard part of coming up with it first, right? I could just riff on what you said. <laughs> Good team. <laughs> well, this has been such a great conversation. Thank would you, you um, yeah, would, before we close out, would you yeah. tell me one thing that's hard right now and one thing that's great? Uh, yeah, okay. So I am going through a plethora of things right now in mm -hmm. my life and um since this isn't a counseling session sorry for <laughs> anyone listening i will not be divulging <laughs> but it's it's kind of challenging and mm. it's um it's just having to balance everything out and keep yeah. my head straight you know sometimes you feel like just screaming mm. um but then it's the challenges processing my emotions as mm -hmm. they weave and you know the waves come in and ebb away and yeah and but then not getting lost in them to the point where you can't think mm -hmm. um so well uh, I tend to be very strategic and some people say I'm cold mm -hmm. so <laughs> it's kind of balancing letting my emotions in and processing them mm -hmm. without getting too entrenched in my emotions but mm -hmm. also being human through it yeah and the good part of it is um i get to just be in this free fall into the arms of jesus and just trusting him mm. you know those trust falls you do yes. you just close your eyes and you just mm -hmm. fall back and <laughs> that's just how i feel and his joy has just been my strength and he sees everything to me literally like everything Mm. And I'm just so happy that I have him and I feel him walking with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned Hillsong. They actually have a new song, Another in the Fire. Oh, cool. <laughs> and that has been basically on re uh, repeat. Uh -huh. And it's basically saying that, you know, you remember the story of Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego in the uh -huh. Bible where uh -huh. um, Nebuchadnezzar like tosses them into the, the furnace. Mm -hmm. And there's a fort man in the fire and that's Jesus right, and he's right. walking with us he's walking mm. through it and you see him and uh, as you're walking through the valley as you're going through the fire you see his hand 
like guiding you and being mm. with you and you know you're not alone mm. and you know that God is fighting for you and he's by your side. So yeah. that's the good part of it because it gives me so much comfort and joy mm. and I just feel victorious and I feel like I'm above it all. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing everything that you've shared. Um, yep. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Mary B. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks to Deborah for sitting down with me. Theme music is by Chad Rollinson and sound editing is by Andrew Kim. Check back next week for my interview with Brooklyn-based singer-songwriter Elise Moss. If you have any thoughts or want to engage on this topic further, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Or you can go to my website, marybesafer.com. You can subscribe to my newsletter. And that's basically you'll get an email from me every other Wednesday with an exclusive message and direct access to content and resources I think you'll love. You can also shoot me a message by clicking on contact me on my website. Uh, And you can always head over to Instagram and follow me at marybesafer. That's all for now. See you next week.